Welcome to On the Table, a podcast about board games, card games, and tabletop war games. Welcome back to episode 115 of the On the Table Gaming podcast. It's Chase and Josh from On the Table Gaming. And well, you know, what do we got in store for today, Josh? We're talking about Kill Team. We're going to do a little departure, talk a little Games Workshop today. Ooh, I'm excited. But before we jump into that, let's get a little Song of Ice and Fire chat in here. And we're going to head on over now to the Coach's Corner to talk with Brett Lanford, the 2021 U.S. National A Song of Ice and Fire champion, where we're going to hear his hot take, advice, and or challenges he might have for any listeners. So, Brett, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So what do we got on tap for this week? What might be something we could either spotlight or check out if you're an aspiring A Song of Ice and Fire player? Uh, I think today we're going to we're going to address what I like to call the angry noble from Dragonstone. This is um, it's a synergy that's not exactly a secret, but um, the Dragonstone noble is capable of becoming something of a heat seeking missile with uh, gaining two additional automatic hits with sundering each time he attacks for each wound that he suffered. So the idea of this list is to find ways to essentially heal him on command as well as wound him on command when it's to your advantage. So uh, I've built some lists or at least some units that that synergize really well with this Dragonstone Noble. And then from there, you can build around with whatever pieces you want to add. All right. Well, it sounds sounds devious. Let's see what you got. Okay. So to begin with, the the most obvious synergy that comes to mind is Melisandre the Red Woman. She's a little bit unused right now. Um, she or maybe underused, I should say. But what she can do, since the since her ability doesn't force her to target an infantry unit only, you can target the Dragonstone Noble, uh, remove two wounds from him, and allow him to take a panic test, which he takes on a three plus. So it should be really easy to pass that panic test, and that's a way to get those wounds on him. Now, a specific synergy that comes to mind with that is with a basic card in the deck, and you can pull a really nasty combo that can actually take down. Even units like Heavy Cav, like Flayed Men or Knights of Castle Rock in one turn. So what you can do is you can activate Melisandre, take the two wounds from the Dragonstone Noble. If they if the Dragonstone passes the panic test, which again he should, uh, you can play Baratheon Justice to make an enemy he's engaged with become vulnerable. Following the panic test that you could put on the same enemy that the Dragonstone Noble's engaged with, you'd be able to make an attack with three attack dice and four automatic sundering hits, and the defender would be vulnerable. This is all from one activation on the attack. <laughs> oh my gosh, okay. And so he's, he's not only angry, he's doing work. He's, he's ready to go. It is a very nasty attack. Now, this is, this is something I've actually had happen to me. I have had multiple times an entire unit of flayed men be destroyed by a single Dragonstone Noble because he was angry. <laughs> Another card that you can use from the Baratheon deck to wound the Dragonstone Noble on your own terms is Reckless Fury, and it's a tactics card from Andrew Essermont, uh, first of the King's Men. This one says, after when a friendly unit is performing a melee attack before rolling attack dice, this attack gains vicious and rolls its highest attack die value. Neither of those really matter that much for the Dragonstone Noble. After completing the attack, the attacker suffers two wounds minus one for each of its destroyed ranks. Being a solo, he wouldn't have any destroyed ranks, so he would just automatically suffer those two wounds. So you have effectively, on your own terms, turned him into what could be a cruise missile. Keeping in mind that the Dragonstone Noble does have the Sentinel Order, 
which is effectively a counter charge. When a friendly unit is attacked, you can do a free charge action targeting the attacker, or he can make a free maneuver. So he's actually quite maneuverable. And one last point on the Dragonstone Noble, which is something I actually see a lot of players forget. Uh, the Dragonstone Noble, as a solo rider, when he begins his activation, he may make a free retreat or maneuver action. Now we're used to oh yeah yeah we're used to seeing the free maneuver with cavalry type units, but I really haven't seen a lot of people take advantage of the free retreat. So this is a tactic similar to what we've seen with. Uh, Rob Stark's tactical regroup from 1.6, where you can actually start your activation by retreating from one enemy unit when they think they have you locked down. And then you can use that retreat action to pivot and charge an entirely different enemy with that they might not be expecting, it might not be well guarded, or it could be a unit that you would rather do that heavy damage to. And, uh, wow. That's terrifying, actually. It is. And with that free retreat, oftentimes you can end up in a unit's flank or in its rear. And when you mix that with the Sundering and the four additional hits, you start to get into negative two, negative three to defensive saves. And then you're modifying the morale damage as well. So it can be quite nasty. That Solar Rider point is such a big one because uh, I was wondering, like, you know, you're, you're taking two wounds. He's only got three wounds on him. I know he has two plus armor, but, you know, you're putting him in a precarious position. But you don't really have to go uh, last and first with this, with that that Solar Rider retreat. That really does open up a lot. It does, absolutely. And his, his defensive profile is pretty stout with a two plus defense and a three plus morale. If you're fighting things that don't have sundering or don't have ways to make you vulnerable, he's definitely capable of hanging in there and dealing with, you know, five or six vanilla attacks, even if they're hitting on a three plus. Uh, he should be pretty safe. But to that point, um, as far as healing him on command, uh, since you're running the Stannis side anyway, another attachment that I don't see used a lot is Davos. Uh, the Onion Knight. Now he's got um, he's got supply aid, and we've seen this ability used to great effect with uh, Night's Watch and their conscripts. But you can use this with Davos, and I actually like putting Davos in a unit of mercenaries because it essentially makes Davos free. You've got a five point unit that's essentially just there to support. But if they have to get involved in the action. Uh, the mercenaries are actually capable of doing a little bit of work. So I really like that unit as a key support unit. But most importantly, if things get a little bit hairy for your Dragonstone Noble and you make this devastating attack, such as the one we explained with Melisandre, and you're anticipating that he might get charged, uh, just use Davos to heal him up um, before they get into combat with you. That's fantastic. So if you're listening, maybe their challenge for this week is take out some Dragonstone Nobles and give it a shot here. Um, you're looking at Andrew Estremont, Davos Seaworth, the Onion Knight, Melisandre, the Red Woman. Let's see some sample lists and let us know, you know how it goes for you. Are there ways you might tweak or iterate on this to build yourself a, a list that you find success with? Yeah. All right. Well, thank, thank you so much, Brett, for our Coach's Corner hot take. And uh, I'm excited to see what you come up with next week. Yeah, it'll be fun. All right, so I'm excited for that. So next time we play, Josh, I got to have you bust out that Dragonstone Noble and see if you can put some of those tactics into action. I'll try. I don't know and if I've got Brett, Brett Lamper's uh, level of skill, but I'll, I'll give it a go. With a few more segments like that, who, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, but let's get back to this idea of kill team and uh, exploring this uh, this new addition. Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I know you uh, sort of had a similar uh, experience, but we both played... 
40k a long time ago. I think you played second edition uh, because you're old, and I played. Wow. Uh, are we, are we <laughs> we're close in the same age here. <laughs> I, I guess, but you, I know, I know you have a copy of Rogue Trader in your house, so I mean, yes. you must be older than me. I can't. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we. Uh, I played third edition, which was like sort of the big edition at the time. Um, you know, much maligned in the moment for being sort of a simplification of the extremely complex second edition rules. But I think both of us took a, a pretty healthy chunk of time away from Games Workshop, right? Like, I mean, I think we both stopped playing probably like 97, 98. So we're talking like middle school. Yeah, well, so we kept playing, but I realized at the time we had been like refusing to play the new edition, third edition. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so we all just played with our friend groups. And so we just kept playing second edition. And uh, I realized it was for like a couple of years now. Like looking back, if this was a new game, like, you know, if a Song of Ice and Fire had a new edition and I just like refused to start playing it for like two, three years, like that might be kind of an oddity today. <laughs> I think it's funny because not to get too far into the weeds, but it's people do tend to feel like when there's a new edition out, like there's no possibility that they can just continue to play. But it's like if you still have the miniatures and you still have the rule book, the game will never die unless you stop playing it. Right. So that's always a, a, an option. But certainly people do feel like that, like once a new edition comes out, throw everything away, start fresh. And so, you know, why did you return to Kill Team or what, what brought you back to the Warhammer universe? Well, I thought, you know, it was funny. I was just perusing around and I stumbled across the 40K. I think I probably talked about them before, but the 40K in 40 minutes uh, guys yeah. watched a couple of their videos and just found myself like just idly watching them. And I had been like obsessed with Space Marines and like read a bunch of the books and stuff when I was a kid. And I would just like leaf through my old codex like a hundred times. And so it kind of sparked that, you know, little like itch of like, oh, this, this is kind of cool. So I was kind of poking around. I ended up buying like a, they have these like push to fit intercessor units. It's like three Space Marines that come in a box for like 10 bucks or something like that. So bought a couple of those, painted them. And I was like, well, that was really fun. I, I wish there was something I could do with them. And I found at the time that, you know, Kill Team was out, which was a, um, a 40K universe, but scaled down to the skirmish level. So you're talking, you, you know, between five and maybe 15 models if you're playing one of the, you know, more horde based factions. And it was one of those things where I was like, huh, I think I can like kind of dip my toe in here and, and get a little bit of that 40K flavor without necessarily fielding a whole a whole army there's something to be said about just how beautiful games workshop miniatures are like uh mm -hmm. so you know we'll get to this in a little bit but you you split a core box of the new kill team with me and i'm just putting those miniatures together i was like wow it's like really satisfying to like push everything together and have it be like so sleek and like well fitted and you know the miniatures themselves are just gorgeous yeah i mean i think that's still one of their key strengths is you know, their, their IP that they own, but also, you know, the, the models that they put out are consistently extremely good, packed with detail. So it's something that's always like a lot of fun. It's just even the assembly process, which, you know, hopefully everyone's into that. But that's something that, that I also like enjoyed was just kind of like, you know, picking my options, getting the pose I wanted down, all that kind of stuff was really was really fun. Came right back to me. And it's really hard. I mean, it's hard to avoid the Warhammer universe, right? 40K itself is like mm -hmm. so omnipresent in wargaming video games that are out there a lot the setting is just so fantastic heck even just watching although many of them have been taken down now in the wake of you know the, the warhammer tv series stuff but like yeah. a lot of those like fan-made videos i'd be watching those and be like this is so cool yeah yeah i mean it's a cool universe i mean to me it's almost amazing that they haven't done something bigger with it yet like how is that not like a netflix show or or something by now it's just crazy to me but maybe eventually that'll be something that comes out but yeah that, i mean like this the fan-made stuff is excellent you know unfortunately it does seem like games workshop is a little 
little uh, over aggressive in in protecting their IP, but yeah, I don't know. Part their, part their larger strategy to make that that uh like kind of Netflixy set they have where you can log in and watch you know their own special content. Sounds like mm-hmm. they're they're playing uh you know playing a few steps ahead maybe. So we'll see where where it goes. But let's, yeah, I mean, let's... they're definitely uh, a little bit more aggressive in monetization for that's for sure. I mean, it's one of the reasons that they're as successful as they are, but also is like you know somebody who's just engaging with the hobby is sometimes a little bit of a drag for sure. Right. I mean, you know they're. They're trying to run a business, I suppose. So, mm-hmm. but you know, let's talk about let's talk about Kill Team. So, this was something yeah. when you initially were like, "Hey, would you be down for playing some Kill Team?" You know, I, I no, I think at first it was like, you know what, this is like I'll, I'll cash in some uh, some Josh credit here, and I'll be like, let I'll give it a shot because you're suggesting it. But it wasn't something initially I was chomping at the bit to try. In in a weird way, a lot of times I, it seems like over the past couple of years, like there's been a bunch a bunch of like 40k additions and box sets come out, and I'll see like, ooh, like there's these new minion boxes of these new kill team boxes and it's kind of just like in the background you walk to the store and you just notice you're like oh there's a new thing oh, yeah. but it wasn't like something that i was really hyped out of hyped about or actually i hadn't even hearing that much about mostly mostly from you and uh it was really actually interesting. It kind of made me question, well, why haven't I been playing Warhammer games for a while? Because it was actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, it's, I will say, like, having played Kill Team and unfortunately also dabbling in Time 40K a little bit, I mean, the game is very fun. So, yeah, it, it's it's one of those things where I started, you know, doodling around with, like, pretty you know, modest expectations like where, you know, I'll just buy handful of space marines maybe buy like one more unit of something just to fight with my space marines and then that's that's as far as i'll go and then i ended up going at well you know it's i only need one box of stuff to build a whole new kill team for an entirely different faction so let me you know let me check out tyranids let me check out plague marines let me check out tau let me check out necrons the next thing you know uh i've got like a dozen or so kill teams that are all built and painted but um that's also kind of the fun is that it's it's hard for it to get stagnant because you can you know spin up a a new kill team and and take a lot of time with the models because you would never have to paint more than like i said like anywhere from five to to 15 and that's it and you know maybe there's two things there that i want to hit you know one is like this is a great game for like onboarding people into games workshop games uh and two you know the i don't know how this has been received in the wider community this particular rule set but i was impressed it was it was simple and light enough to jump in while it still felt like it had the flavor that makes this setting seem really cool uh and so both the accessibility features and the idea that like you know if you're getting to the hobby or if i was a big 40k player i could totally see how you'd be like well yeah start off playing playing kill team and then eventually you build up into having a full-sized force. You want to pick up some vehicles and other cool things. And then that, that really makes sense. And I was kind of looking longingly at some of the other games I play, like Star Wars Legion, and thinking, man, you know, what's the best way to jump into that? They have a smaller point value system you can play, but mm-hmm. it's the same basic rules and it doesn't quite feel as balanced. Um, you know, right, it'd be like saying, right. let's play a Song of Ice and Fire, but we're going to start off at like 15 points. And you're like, this isn't the same. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do think that eventually it'd be cool if they put out a rule set that you could use Song of Ice and Fire models in a skirmish setting. Because I, I do think that that could be really sweet. Um, all that aside, yeah, I agree. Like uh, even in 40K, there's like a smaller scale version of the game called Combat Patrol, which is five, just like you said, 500 points instead of 2,000, right? So it's like you're playing with a quarter of an army that's designed to give like sort of a smaller, you know, type of faction a little more time to shine. But um, or you just play quicker games. But it's still all the trappings of the full fledged game, which is you know both good and bad, right? You know, there's certain things that are great about that, but then there's also a lot of complexity that gets introduced with the, the larger scale 40K. You you split this core box with me, and admittedly, like you you picked it up and you came over like, hey, I've got this extra stuff. Here you go. So I got myself some 
own cool Imperial Guard. And that was actually one of my, back in the day, it was all about the Eldar and the Imperial Guard were, were my favorites. And, uh, you know, a little bit of the underdog. I feel like the Imperial Guard were like the unsung heroes of that entire setting. Uh, like if the spacemen are supposed to be the good guys, I'm like, oh, come on. They've got like, you know, the plot armor on Let's and little, literal power armor on. Like, what about like the regular dude? And they're like, here, take this gun and like, go deal with that. And it was like, what was it? Carnifexes. Those are particularly scary. I remember. And like, you know, Homerans and all sorts of scary stuff out there. You can tell my primary yeah. opponent was a Tyranid player. <laughs> Well, I remember the card effects at the time. It's it's funny if you go back and look at that original model now. It's like not great, <laughs> but oh in that in that era, it was like one of the scariest things you could see. It was like, oh crap, this thing's gonna just rip everything to shreds. But yeah, I, I certainly agree. Like the uh, Imperial Guard have that great sort of like we're just gonna lose a ton of dudes, but like we'll just try to overwhelm you with sheer tenacity and grit and probably some sweet vehicles eventually. And you know, I'll 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 put it out there that the game that I was like, you know, stubbornly defending at the time, second edition, and even Rogue Trader looking back to that book, you know, I didn't think I really even played Rogue Trader. We mostly played second edition. When I was looking through like all these charts and tables you could roll for scenarios like a D one hundred. Here's a hundred different scenarios you could do. Uh, it was more like, you know, we were like basically role playing with the miniatures. And uh, second edition is where we really played the most. And even that had so many charts and tables like I don't know if I would say that's like a good game. And and I think the move is to streamline <laughs> and you know yeah. kill team now we have this edition of kill team and it's it's seemingly from my understanding pretty streamlined how how did you feel it uh played compared to the previous edition i love it um i think you know the 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 previous edition of kill team was also i would say good definitely had a huge fan base uh it brought a lot of people into the hobby including myself um you know it, play, it played nicely i think the critical sort of difference between the previous edition and this edition is just everything's a lot more lethal so i'll give you an example for those of you that might not be familiar with old kill team rules but um if you're you know shooting at somebody in in, in kill team let's say you're a space marine you're rolling a three plus to hit something you know you have to all these different negative modifiers that stack and there's all these dice rolls so for example i'm shooting a chase's guy his guy's over half of my range away from me so my you know, shooting a bolter is 24 inches so if you're not 12 inches away you're you know 18 inches away I have a minus one to hit, so I'm shooting at a four plus. You're in cover, which pretty much is impossible not to be in, in original kill team because just anything was covered by anything you, you were considered in cover. So then you're talking, I need a five plus to hit. So then I have five plus to hit, then I have to roll a wound, then you get an armor save, then there's a wound roll. And on top of that, there's also the possibility uh, that they have something like disgustingly resilient like Plague Burnies do, where they get another like a feel no pain save on top of it. So what it meant was, I, I read a review once that, um, you know, described the shooting in Kill Team as, you know, you're sort of shooting like nerf pellets, right? Like a, a space marine <laughs> shooting a bolter is like so, you know, lethal in, in, in the lore, but in, in Kill Team in practice, it was basically kind of very difficult to land land a hit wound and, and, and a kill ultimately. And so that was always a little bit disappointing. And so either close combat felt better or you needed to like stack up a bunch of hits with damage to weapons, which meant that it kind of skewed the overall structure of the game to be like, how many plasma guns can I take in an Imperial Guard list? And and so it really sort of um, created some wonky scenarios. I think in the in the current version, what's a lot better is that there's a lot more opportunity for chip damage. So, you know, guardsmen shooting at somebody with a LAS gun, sure, it's not going to do a ton of damage, but it's unlikely that it's going to do nothing at all, right? So, um, you know, lower, lower damage level and, and maybe not a huge, huge swing, but not pointless like the previous edition. So I think that's something that I really like about that that new setup. And you know, something I'd like to throw out there to people listening, if you're a huge 40K fan and maybe you're not happy with Kill Team, I'd love to hear, you know, what what reservations you have. Um, and if, if uh, you know, the, I know some people are upset about the, the change in the rules and how they're simplified and the profiles are all different. And now it's okay. using widgets. 
But for me, you know, and I feel like maybe the game is designed for people like me, like it was fantastic because it seemed pretty quick to pick up. The box had its own play mat with scenery and uh, the, well, maybe we can talk about how the terrain plays out, but having the elevation, you know, really mm-hmm. change things and how we were making our decisions. And, you know, in a weird way, it was kind of like a miniature agnostic game where I got to like dig through my old 40K stuff from, you know, 12 something plus 20 something years ago and pull stuff out and I could put together a small squad and, and jump right into playing and, uh, you know, definitely would see myself picking up like some additional models just to add in because it's a quick fun game to play i was gonna say i think one of the things that kind of rubbed people the wrong way initially was um specifically like the compendium um which is so just to give a little explanation so they have a sort of a core set which has uh two different factions in it it has scenery it has dice it has all the tokens you know the the core rules all that kind of stuff but if you wanted to play any faction that wasn't one of the two factions that were in that box so the specifically the orc commandos and the uh imperial guard Creek. Um, you kind of had to get this you know, sort of separate book called the Compendium. Now, previous editions of Kill Team, you had like you know, kind of a familiar setup where you'd have a certain number of points. You can kind of pick and choose different operatives in your team. And so you can have like a mix and match, like, you know, let's say Space Marines, you could have like an Intercessor and then an Eliminator and an Assault Marine. Uh, so you can have these sort of like mixed uh, units of guys and it was all point based and you can have like specific equipment on them. The Compendium uh, is sort of a simplified version of that structure where um, you really only get a couple of options. And for the most part, especially with Space Marines, you you are limited to uh, units that are comprised of the same type of space marine. So if you're using intercessors, they're all intercessors and you have a couple of war gear options that you can maybe tweak and add, but generally speaking, it's gonna keep things kind of flat. And I think the structure there is basically Games Workshop saying, okay, well, most of these factions, we want them to be buildable out of a single box of units, um, which I think is actually kind of a cool thing, right? That you're sort of, you know, taking a box of Plague Marines. I know that if I buy that box of Plague Marines, I don't need to buy like a second random box of stuff just to have the bits I need for another gun. Everything's sort of contained uh, in that one uh, item. So I think that kind of rubbed people the wrong way is that they didn't have as much flexibility as a previous edition, but I actually think like having played those compendium lists and scaling back the number of stratagems that you can use is actually a, a, a good thing and beneficial uh, for the game. What do you think about widgets? Are you kind of like, do you have strong feelings either way about like measuring sticks and tools like that? I mean, like I, I agree with people. It's sort of like an odd fit because each of them just equals a, you know, an increment of inches. So, you know, there's like sort of that learning curve of getting used to a circle being, I think it's two inches, <laughs> but you know, once you use the, the widget for a little bit of time, it's, it's, you know, it becomes second nature. It's not complicated. I mean, I know it's a, it's, it's a big meme thing online, but it's uh, I don't have a, a problem with it at all. Uh, did you, did you find it difficult to, to, to figure out? No, I honestly, I like it. So the weirdest thing has been in my return to war gaming, I have gravitated toward games like star Wars Legion or Marvel crisis protocol or song of ice and fire in which I'm not typically using a, a a tape measure. Uh, and so for the past, you know, five, six years, I've been almost exclusively playing that. Uh, and when I would played something else, I'd like have to go dig out a tape measure. And so now I'm going out to the garage and like digging out a tape measure to play a game. And it, it feels weird. So coming back to this, I, you know, the, the actual widgets, they, they seem fine. I would say that that, that kind of weird, like trapezoidal shaped widget they have, it actually doesn't feel good in your hand. I don't know what it is, but like, it doesn't feel right. There's something like kind of off, but I think it totally makes sense just to use a widget like that. And you, there's only someone to ways you can make shapes, et cetera. But I thought it was fine. Uh, it was also interesting having the shapes on the cars or the, uh, sorry, on the stat profiles. Like it's like, oh, circle or what was it? Triangle, square, those sorts of things. 
I could see how coming in, having taken such a long break from things, that was like no problem. And it was like super easy and it doesn't take up a lot of space in the writing. But I could imagine if I had been playing in any other system, it's weird to suddenly have like a circle there instead of like two inches when it actually takes up like roughly the same amount of space. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things. It, it took a little bit of time to just wrap your head around. But honestly, like you play with it for two games, and you know, it, it makes perfect sense. It's it's not bad at all. So one of the things I really liked, and I make sure maybe you can help me with the vernacular here, was you, you have your characters, and they have like two different states they're going to be in. Yeah. So there's a conceal and an engage order. So essentially, um, when you start the game, uh, you choose whether they're concealed or engaged. And what that functionally means in the in game terms is that conceal means that your character has fewer options of things that they can do. So they can't like fight, they can't shoot. Um, and so typically you're using that to get your guys into position. In the early game, maybe they're going for an objective, maybe they're trying to get closer because they're more of a melee based unit. And what it means functionally is that it's harder to shoot them uh, when they're in cover because in some cases you can't shoot them at all because it'd be like they're sort of ducking down behind a barricade. So it's a way that you can protect your operatives while they get closer, but then it does limit the things that they can do. While if you're an engage order, it means you can do anything. You can shoot, you can uh, you can fight, you can charge. And so uh, it's kind of a cool mechanic of, you know, whatever you start your game with, you have that as your order for the first turn. But then after that, you can change your order at the beginning of every subsequent turn. So it's a kind of a cat and mouse game of like when you want to start revealing your operatives and, and move into a more aggressive posture, uh, because then that does also expose them to more fire. I felt like that was one of the things actually I found the most compelling and I thought was a cool little gimmick that that actually worked and and added a lot of value. I mean, I think you felt that way because your gene stealers kind of ran up to me and then murdered my whole team. That's it. Did you see what happened there? Was that that first game I tried to be the heroic imperial guardsman and we got we got murdered, we got gunned down. Then I was like, you know what else to beat me when I played? Tyranids. Let's try them out. (laughs) And things went much, much better. Yeah. Um, Gene Stillers be scary. That was always true, even like Space Hulk, you know, if they could get there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a, the that's a cool thing is the Tyranids feel exactly like they should, right? Like the Gene Stealers far away, if you can see them, you got a clear line of sight on them, not that big of a deal. But then if they get close, uh, they start ripping your guys to shreds, which is, and it's cool. It's like close combat feels very lethal because it's, even if your character has got like an advantage in close combat, it's hard to get away completely unscathed. Um, and that was another thing I also really liked in this edition is like, it's not like a typical, I'm going to charge and hit you with every attack first and then you get a chance to respond it's we're fighting and like i'm using my dice to parry your dice and you can parry my dice but then there's still an advantage to charging but it's not like a total advantage where i can just kill your guy before you get a chance to even swing back and then for the terrain how do the terrain interact with those states so terrain mostly it's uh there's two there's two pieces to think about which is like your your sort of uh if you're concealed behind cover so obscured i think is the, the proper game term uh, and that's really important when you're in that sort of concealed state so that you can be prevented from being shot at at all uh, it's like basically you you're you know sort of hidden or you know laying down or, or whatever the case may be and then the other piece would be if you're at an elevation you can be on a, uh, what's called a vantage point so if you're like looking down it sort of negates that rule so normally if you're behind a little barricade i can't see you but if i'm raised up i actually can so it's a good opportunity to get like your snipers and your heavy gunners up on a high point uh and being able to shoot down into them that kind of almost gave me like an old school necromon a necromunda vibe like when i was playing i was getting a lot of hits of nostalgia and yet it wasn't like overly complicated where you know you're not going like three stories up although i wonder is there a terrain that goes that high i don't know i mean really there's no limitation to how much you want to do um I've seen people who created a board that's entirely vertical. Right? Oh, I think so yeah, actually Greg Young is doing something like that. You're right. 
Yeah, yeah. There's some pretty sweet boards where it's like literally just hanging on the wall and it's just all literally all just gantries and you're fighting on this like vertical wall uh, the whole time, that, which also seems pretty badass. Yeah, I know. And I, I guess just playing the characters that, you know, the Genius Slayers felt very different than Imperial Guard. The Tyranids had the cool little synapse things. Um, mm. You know, a lot of the flavor that you get that you want, you know, that's you know, the game is so rich in that lore. And so, you know, you've maybe seen video games or played properties based on this setting. And now you finally get these miniatures and you're, you're going to sit down to play a game and, and it you can do those cool things that you'd like to do. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I think I'm really sold on this this game. This was something I came in with maybe some reservation or, or at least at the very best I was neutral about. And I was pleasantly surprised at how easy it was to pick up how accessible it was uh, in the greater scheme of things. And, uh, you know, something I'm looking forward to actually playing a lot more of. I mean, it plays fast, right? Like if you're, if you're, especially if you're both familiar with the rules, we were still learning, but we got two games in, in, in two hours. So I think like, you know, once you get comfortable, you can probably easily, you know, run through games within an hour um, with no problem. A lot like, you know, Song of Ice and Fire, where it just plays real smooth. You know, there's, there's not a whole lot of debate. It, it, it's alternating activations now, which is really great, you know, so that's, back and forth you're constantly thinking about your next move um so yeah i think it's i think it's a good i think it's a good fit for people who are fans of uh of of song of west fire as well what do you think is maybe like the best and worst things about this edition um i'll start with the i'll start with the negative because that's more fun that'll get you know that's the clicks right um i think (laughs) that's what we're all about here (laughs) (laughs) yeah like I've said it before, but like a, the big thing about a song of ice and fire is they're very consumer friendly with their rules. Um, you know, Simon has has been so great about updates. Um, you know, you're not paying for the rules. You know, you buy your models, but then there's a change. You know, you're you're just it gets uploaded to the free app. They have an application that they run themselves, which is you know very easy to use. Uh, of course, they don't make us take down the you know Song of Ice Fire Builder website that you can also use to build your tools. So it's like they just make it very accessible to get into the game. Right, the rules are all free. Games Workshop is a lot different um, because I think partially you know a big way that they make their money is by selling you know rules to the game. Right, so the rule book itself is is you know you have to buy that. That's like forty bucks unless you're buying the starter set. You've got the compendium is another forty bucks. You've got um, you know, no real app that they have that they run themselves that's got like the units in it. So there are applications that you can use, which we'll talk about later on, um, like Battlescribe. Um, but you know, the official support for things like a you know a nice app where you can just go, I just want to buy my box of Imperial Guard and start playing today. Can't really do that without buying the the rule book that's going to have all mm-hmm. the information in it. So that I think of all the negatives, that's one that you know coming from Song of Ice and Fire might be a little bit of a sticker shock because you're like wow these books are expensive for something that's required to play the game but once you get past that initial purchase um if you happen to have old 40k models or you just want to like dabble then you really talk about you're buying one box a unit you know one box of guys and you're you know you got your faction right there and you can really spend as much time customizing those individual dudes as you want because they're all going to be a character in your team they're all named operatives that all have specializations so uh it can be pretty uh it can be pretty rewarding in that respect I think for me, the the biggest uh, draw was, you know, it's kind of fun to go back to like small amounts of miniatures. You know, while I've got squads that could be smaller in Star Wars Legion or even Marvel Crisis Protocol, you're maybe only painting up like a few characters here. You're, you got your roster of maybe 10 you're bringing. Um, painting up like 
you know, five space Marines or, you know, 10 or something Imperial Guardsmen. The miniatures are such a fun to paint. Like in a weird way, I feel like the game, the danger of this game is that you might be like, well, I might just pick up a unit of this stuff because it'd be fun to paint. And like, and I guess I could play it with the game, but it kind of like perfectly feeds that loop of like buying some miniatures, painting them up and then and having a quick fun game with them without it being like overwhelming. Like I'm not getting stuck and uh, having to paint, you know, 36 free folk Raiders, right. Or, or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, that was my whole thing was like, I think that's one of the great things about it is that it, it, it does like, I, you know, if you're going to play f- like actual, like full, full scale 40 K the odds that you're going to be able to play like 10 different factions, unless you've got tons of time and money to, to spare, you know, it, it's pretty low, right? People don't typically have 12 different armies, but in kill team, that's like, relatively doable, right? It's still not cheap because we're still talking about Games Workshop here, but it's it's, it's a lot more reasonable than, than than would be with like larger scale games to play multiple factions. I can't tell Jeff, if it's just me as I'm getting older or as a across the board, is it like a general trend? Um, these smaller, quicker games, I'm really a big fan of that. Like that's really appealing to me. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, uh, you know, games that can be wrapped up within an hour and then this way, like, you know, because like how many times, I think part of it is like, as you get a little older, it's like harder to like find a full day to like just game right. right so then when you do it's like it's really cool if you can get a whole bunch of games in at once right and that's why it's great for like song of ice and fire or x-wing or or kill team it's like i want to be able to get through a game really quickly have a great time you know we both had our sort of you know moments of success and failure and like you know came out i was like that was really fun let's let's run it right back let's you know we can play the same list or we can play a different list we can move the board around like you know and and, and play really quickly and i think games like that are are, are really the probably the best thing for for me right now and i think i walked away with having cool moments to talk about We're like oh when that happened like that was awesome and even when yeah. bad things happened it was just one game so it's not that big a deal right whereas i, I definitely remember back in the day you'd, you'd paint up your new unit you put it on the table turn one it gets like blown away and then you've got like four hours of game left or something where it's like you're you're fighting from behind or you know maybe some of these early game decisions put you at a difficult spot and you know this was like well a lot lower stakes now, one thing would be interesting for this would be if there was some narrative components that could be woven in. Is there is there anything like that for Kill Team? Oh, Chase, I'm so glad you asked. Of course <laughs> there is. Yeah, they, they built a whole new system, which is actually really cool. And I want to uh, try it out. So the previous edition of Kill Team, that was something also that they didn't do great was like, uh, you know, sort of a, a narrative you know campaign structure. Um, it was very much like tacked on. There wasn't a lot of like meat there. But now they have like a whole chunk of the rulebook that's dedicated to a campaign. So now you've got your little roster of, of, you know, guys on your on your kill team and, you know, they're all named. Now, what's even cooler is you're going through multiple missions and you're losing some of them. They're getting killed or permanently injured. Um, You know, you can get uh, experience and have them level up. You can get special equipment that you acquire over the course of a campaign. So sometimes it's like something simple, like, you know, just grenades that your guys can throw. But it could also be like a relic, like a special plasma rifle that's like, you know, Mm. a, a relic of the past that's like better than a normal one. So like really cool stuff that you can achieve. And uh, there's also a a quote unquote base of operations that you're upgrading as well. So, you know, picture your, your hideout that your, you know, your, your base of operations represents that you're, you know, striking out from to like run these operations with your kill team. You 
can like upgrade that and that also has in-game effects as well. So there's a lot of really neat stuff that you could do to craft a, a narrative of your own, right? If you want to have it represent like battles within a specific zone or, you know, if you just want to have like a sort of a you know, free-floating narrative where you guys are just sort of running games and leveling up your troops as you as you proceed. But there's it's it's really it's really uh, cool, man. So one thing I do, I do have to point out, and it's been a while, so I'm sure I'm missing something, or maybe I'm misremembering. I thought I, I'm pretty sure I remember that plasma guns were like it was like ancient tech, right? There was like a certain number were made, and then like chapters like held on to them as like prized weapons, etc. Seems like you know these days every everybody's got a plasma gun or it's it's still an iconic uh, you know forty k weapon. But has that changed? Is there more? Uh, because I feel like everybody uh, everyone's a got great it. question. I you know I'm I'm not sure uh, in terms of their uh, how how common they are. I'll say that like what's happening in the modern lore, not to get too out there, but like the whole like primary space marine thing. Um, you know they definitely have more like there's a whole unit of plasma marines that you can use. So like literally everybody in the squad. They're called hell blasters. They're, they're all going to have plasma guns. Um, so I, I think it's certainly more common than it used to be. Um, but there is still is that concept of like relic weapons. So like weapons of, an, of, a, of a past age that were like made better because there's like this decay, right? That the empire, this is part of what's cool about 40K is like, you know, the whole world is like falling apart. Like they stopped developing new technologies in a lot of respects. Yeah. So like everything's kind of just gradually worse as people like kind of get dumber and dumber. But yeah, so I, <laughs> that was a long meandering answer to say there's absolutely hey. still plasma guns in the game, but they're extremely sweet, especially in Kill Team because they knock out all the person's uh, armor saves, which is... Yeah, and it doesn't harsh. blow up in your hands now, right? Like no, it still does. It oh, still it does. Okay, well, oh, yeah. So you can choose to overheat it. This is like the risk. The, 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 what's great is like the continuity of 40k. Like you'll pl- have played this when you're you know 12, and then you come back and play it now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Didn't those used to like hurt you sometimes? Like <laughs> yes, they still do. They All right. Change that rule. So like basically, you have the option when you shoot a plasma gun to say I'm either going to shoot it regular, right, which is not going to risk the overheating, or I'm going to overcharge it, which means that you're cool, right? Um, and then you, <laughs> you, sh- yeah. you got to always, always be overcharging. Is that this is what the cool yeah, kids do? Always overcharging. If you're not okay. overcharging, then you're doing it wrong. But then, yes. Yeah, so if you, if you roll a one to hit, you basically like, it like kind of burns the character. So you take like a certain number of mortal wounds, which is you know not great. Yeah. That sounds bad. That sounds bad. You know? <laughs> and then he, what do you think about like the battle mats and having the scenery all included in the, in the core set? Do you, do you do you mind at all playing on that cardboard battlefield? Not at all. I, I think it's I think it's awesome that they include that um, in, in the setup. So you've got like a you know uh, a math that's not necessarily it's, it's so it's cardboard right so it's hard. But then I you know double sided. You've got two sort of like um, themes that you can go for. Um, but I think it's cool because it you know it fits right in with the uh, look and feel of the game. Um, you know I, I'd say it's a little more slippery than like a, a neoprene mat. So if you're playing on like a you know one of those game mats, those I, I still think would probably be better generally. But I think it's an awesome include, and I think the scenery that comes in these boxes is just crazy good. Like Games Workshop makes excellent scenery, and the stuff that came in this most recent Kill Team box is even better than the previous edition, uh, which was decent. But this one is like I would say extremely good, and you can still get a hold of the Octarius box set on on amazon i think they're going for like 170 bucks right now so you split it with a friend not that bad yeah easy also just you know easy to put away too i can just store it and then pull it out and play it on most any table it's not that scenery fits in the box which is good it's just wow mind blown 
So, you know, it's something we want to definitely explore more. And if you are someone out there who is a veteran 40K player, but maybe with it for all this, all the years, and you've got a, a wealth of knowledge, like, let us know what we got wrong or uh, things we should check out or consider. Uh, I'd also be interested to hear, like, what are your thoughts on this, right? As someone coming back, I think Kill Team is a very easy and approachable way to get back into things. Um, mm. And I wonder if that appeal also applies to people who are already playing uh, or is it just, you know, a different system watered down and you want to stick with 40K? I think it's I think it's everything in between, right? It really depends on what you're looking for. I think it's a great tree point. I think it's a great way for like, you know, veterans of 40K to just use their stuff in a different way, right? To get a s- smaller scale game in. But it's also its own standalone system, you know? So if you're not coming in from either angle, it's I think it's a great... Uh, just a great uh, game to play. Well, we got we to gotta get some games in then. So let's do this. Let's get, uh, we'll have you test out that Dragonstone Noble concept from uh, Brett's Coach's Corner. <laughs> and I'll get my kill team ready. And we'll uh, maybe have a, a weekend here coming up where we can, we'll get some games back to back in. I did paint some uh, Adeptus Custodes before. So Adeptus Custodes were one of the strongest factions in the game, uh, which when it came out, like, you know, three months ago or whatever it was, you know, so it's, they've been very active in sort of uh, keeping an eye on overall faction balance and notice that the Dodos are probably too powerful. So I, I do have a, an army of custodians that I also want to run, uh, but they are less overpowered than they had been just a few, few weeks ago. Well, that's good. So I'll be spared a little bit of that wrath. You can also use them if you want. Oh, tempting. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. I'll give it a shot. We'll see. <laughs> All right, with that, we're going to wrap things up. Thank you so much for joining into our casual conversation about Kill Team. Be sure to head on over to the On Table Gaming Facebook group and uh, let us know your thoughts about all these topics in the comments below. And in the meantime, we hope we get your miniatures on the table. <laughs>